Welcome to episode number 31 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is a podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you, the listener, by giving you the tools, the tips, the resources, and the strategies you need to create an online business around your expertise, around your focus, so you can change the world with your research experience and your expertise. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today on the call, we have Dr. Chris Humphrey from jobsontoast.com. Chris, welcome to the Grab Blogger podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris, for inviting me on. So Dr. Humphrey has a PhD and a completed a postdoc in medieval studies from the United Kingdom or in the United Kingdom. He moved from academia to business management and consulting, subsequently moved into financial services where he kind of resides now for his day job as a project manager. But more importantly for grabblogger.com, for grabblogger podcast, is that he actually runs jobsontoast.com. So this is kind of a career confidence portal for PhDs, helping you figure out the next steps giving you the, the confidence and the resources to identify and apply for jobs outside of academia. What's really interesting in our space is that he's been running this for a long time, almost a, a decade that Jobs on Toast have been running now. Is that, is that correct, Chris? That's it. Well, um, just to give a bit of the backstory uh, on Jobs on Toast, um, yeah, going back into um, how I left academia. So I left in 2000. I'd been doing a PhD, as you said, and a postdoc, um, but I wasn't able to get a permanent academic job. And I've had interviews at five different UK universities, uh, and none of them were successful in, in getting landing me that elusive um, lectureship or professorship. So it's one of those things where I decided, okay, I need a plan B, and uh, I actually decided to look for a job outside of academia rather than kind of hanging around as an adjunct or, or whatever once my um, funding had run out. And so um, I was actually successful, like you said, in getting a job outside of inside of academia. And then, so I'll fast forward nine years to two thousand and nine. And um, my old dissertation supervisor got in contact with me and said, hey, Chris, um, it would be great if you could come back to York and um, talk to the PhDs in the Centre for Medieval Studies, where I'd been, uh, where I'd been a PhD and postdoc about your journey. You know, how did you um, leave academia? Um, how did you market yourself for a career outside of that? So that's something that I went up there and gave a talk about. And um, it was great just to see the impact that the talk had on the, on the other PhDs there, really kind of gave them confidence and a and a belief that they could do that too. And so that's really when I thought, okay, I'm onto something here. I really want to get this material out to a wider audience. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's kind of interesting to see the whole process. It's like the, oh, what was the quote I heard the other day? It was, it was something like, you know, finding your path in life is a lot like backing up in the dark and hitting, running into something. You know, you, just, you get out of your car and you go look and, 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 and there that something is. And in your case, it was, you know, your supervisor reaching back out and saying, "Hey, can you give this presentation? We really, we're really interested in what you did. How you got out of uh, academia, your whole journey there. Was that sort of surprising to you that 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 happened? It, it was a surprise because um, if it kind of you know rewinds a decade or, or, or further, there wasn't really anything really in this sort of public domain about this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously now we're kind of sport for choice with the number of different websites and things supporting PhDs." with careers outside academia. But, but back then, it was very little. And it wasn't something I was particularly um, aware of or interested in. I'd, I'd left academia for 10 years. So it did come a bit, uh, a bit of a sort of bolt out the blue. But I kind of thought, yeah, there's value in this. And it's, and it's at that point when you really connect with an audience and you feel you're, you're helping people that really kind of gave me that motivation of, of, okay, you know, I've done this once, but how many more PhDs are there in the UK or uh, you know, in, in, in really around the world, who, who I could reach with the same material and the same message. Okay, so we're talking 2009, 2010. 
your supervisor reached back out to you, you did this, you know, presentation and you, you realize that, hey, there's there's people out there that are struggling with this. What brought you to, you know, the online world and starting jobs on toast? Because that wasn't as prominent today. It might be pretty common to go start blogging about, you know, what happened in your in your life, but it probably wasn't as common back then. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the interesting part that um, I just really thought, how can I get this message out? And I could see that maybe if I could give talks at other universities, that would be one way to do it. But, you know, I was outside of the university sphere then. Um, I wasn't sort of networked in with, for instance, university careers advisors and those kind of people. So that's just through an, on, through an online approach. That's really how I saw I could get the message out. If I started blogging about this, you know, sort of talking more about my personal experience um, I could write about some of the key things on my own journey, but I could also have a, guess a bit of a virtual brochure in that way that it would serve to advertise, a, you know, the service that I could provide, which was, uh, you know, giving these talks in universities. So that's really the, the kind of the germ of the idea. And it took me, it took me really till uh, June two thousand and twelve to figure this whole thing, this whole thing out of like how how do you how do you start blogging? How do you set up a blog? How do you write content? You know, I used to. And still do write content when I was on the bus or on the on the train to work, you know. But it's but it's it's, it's like learning a whole different sort of language and, and style of doing things to be able to produce three or six hundred words of of good content, you know, and, and the graphics and everything. So it was a it, it did take me a while to learn all that stuff. And it takes even longer if you want people to be able to read it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's a. I mean, so the reason to have to have Dr. Humphrey on today is really to try to still this. You know, he got started back 2009, 2010. So he's he's been in a, in this kind of blogging world for about a decade. So I really want to pull out, you know, what's he what's he learned, what's worked to kind of grow authority in the space to to further his mission. Maybe what hasn't worked, and try to try to pull those ten years of experience out for our listeners. Um, I will I will mention before we jump into that, I want to thank uh, uh, Dr. Humphrey. He actually is the winner of the Superfans book draw that we held. Um, we did this back in episode 19 of the podcast, The Power of Superfans to Grow Your Blog and Your Business with Pat Flynn. Um, and the challenge was to tag myself and tag Pat Flynn. So at Pat Flynn, that blog, grab blogger on social media with the change that you want to put in the world. And and Chris's uh, tweet was actually, I started my website, Jobs on Toast, to drive change so that one day every university has a career program for his researchers supporting all career paths. That's what I do. And I recently just passed 10 years of doing it. Um, so that got him entered into the random draw. We did the random draw a number of weeks ago now, got that pulled through. And then I think the book that we're sending is actually in the air on its way over the water through to, <laughs> through to Dr. Humphrey now. Um, so I want to say thank you, one, for, for entering the draw. Thank you for the work that you've been doing. Uh, and yeah, I'm really excited to jump in this topic then. Well, you know, what have you learned over the, the last 10 years of blogging? So maybe before we jump right into the tips and strategies and techniques and that sort of stuff that the audience loves. So what's the the purpose of Jobs on Toast today? You know, why why does it exist? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit when I started off. I think when I started off, I just sort of, sort of saw an opportunity um, to get the vision out there. But it, as I've been going over the last decade, I've kind of really refined it into th- there's sort of three main reasons. The first reason, and it's the reason I started it, is to share this framework for researchers to make the transition out of academia. It can seem very daunting when you're moving from academia into another career. It can seem like um, you're not really sure where to even start or um, just the enormity of the change. But um, 
based on my own experience, I've put together this five-step process. And I think if you follow those five steps, it's really going to guide you to you know, getting a successful career out of, outside of academia. So that was the first purpose that I started with. And on top of that, I've sort of built, there's two more aims really that I've developed as I've gone along. The second is really to campaign for universities to provide structured career support for researchers on all career paths. Um, so universities can be quite good and supervisors can be quite good about giving feedback at an academic job. But what about for people, more than half of all researchers who want to get a job outside of And I really believe that university career services, as they do with undergraduates, you know, they should be supporting the postgraduate community as well. Um, so I've tried to campaign for that. And where there's examples of best practice, universities are doing a really good job. I've tried to share those uh, through my blog and through social media. And obviously I contribute that myself if I get invited to go and give a talk. The third reason really is to help employers understand the value of people with higher degrees and what they can bring to their organizations. It can be easy to think of a stereotype as a PhD as somebody in an ivory tower or in a lab, you know, what skills have they got that are relevant to the real world? You know, we know all those stereotypes, but but in fact, um, you know, researchers are really intelligent, highly motivated people with strong sort of personal values. They want to make a difference in the world. Uh, you know, and they're fantastic employees once they've made that adjustment to working in a different type of profession to what they used to. Um, and so that's really sort of something that's come more recently, really, is to try and how do we change employers' perceptions of the value of researchers uh, and sort of open those doors. Yeah, I, I, I really like that process. And it kind of mimics... It's, it's interesting when I talk to a lot of academics that are out there building businesses. And certainly my business actually has kind of went along the same line. So I started with the awareness and education around industrial safety, around fire and explosion hazards. But I found that as we've grown over the last three going on four years now, that there's actually an advocate role. For me, it's on, on government level for you know regulations and engineering guidance that's being provided. But so you have this kind of at the pointy end of the stick, you have the strategies, the techniques, the things that you need on those ends to help people move forward. Then you actually start playing this sort of, you said in a really good way, but campaigning for universities. In my case, I'm advocating on a, on a government level, on a regional level for safer industrial safety practices. You're advocating more on a university level and employee level, um, employer level for the getting this type of training put in place. So I really... I really like that. You mentioned on the strategy side, you have this sort of five-step framework. Do you mind highlighting what, what those steps are? No, that's no problem. I can, um, I can just run through that. Yeah, I think, well, one of the first things that I try and encourage researchers to do is think about their transferable skills. So it can be a challenge when you've been in university for a long time. You're used to qualifications, you know, what qualifications you've got, uh, your degrees and things, but you don't always think about all the transferable skills that you've um, that you've acquired, you know, in all those years of education. So actually, you've got a number of transfer skills. You can think of things like um, public speak. Uh, um, you know, you've probably got very good kind of IT skills or um, foreign languages. Uh, and there's things like scientific methods and things that you know how to do. They're all those sort of transferable skills that people don't really realize. And then that gives them a real confidence when it comes to applying for jobs outside of academia to to really highlight those skills because. Employers want skills. Employers want people who can do certain things. So that's always the first step I, I encourage people to do, to reflect and identify their transferable skills. The second thing I always encourage is people to focus on a profession, um, a target profession, because it can be easy to get bewildered by the sheer number of job opportunities. You know, outside of academia, it could be IT, health, financial services, uh, consulting, government. Oh, where do I even start? You know, And I really encourage people to try and 
narrow it down and focus on a particular profession. In my own case, when I made it, I focused on um, e-learning and web-based training because I felt that was something that I had a, a obvious education background, but I was also interested in how do you apply education and learning knowledge transfer techniques with, within IT and within e-learning. So that was my own my own sort of choice of profession where I focused, and actually that was my first job outside of academia as an e-learning consultant. So I think it's, it's important to focus your job search on, on, on a specific industry or sector. Then I think it's really important to get the right experience. Um, and speaking myself as a, a as a project manager, but also a manager of other project managers, I'm a project team manager, you know, I, I have to hire people. I'm always looking for people with experience. I want people to have experience of having done the job. Why not? Because that that's, that just shows that they can that they can do it. Um, and, and, it and it lessens the risk when you when you hire a new person. Um, but it can be tricky for PhDs to get that kind of instance. And so I would really encourage people to get experience either by doing an internship, maybe doing some sort of freelance work, maybe taking on a part-time job in a, in a sector or an area where they think they would like to work. So you've got that experience on your, on your resume when you come to apply for a job outside of academia. The fourth step of that really is what I call professional brand. Don't present yourself as a PhD uh, or as a PhD student, but present yourself as, as a professional. Use the same language that your, your potential employer is going to use. Um, and one obvious one I always say is, you know, as a researcher, you're managing a project, which is your dissertation. So you can call yourself a, pro a project manager or a research project manager. So, so find a way to brand yourself that will resonate with the employer. Don't, don't use the, the language of academia, uh, you know, as a postdoctoral fellow or a PhD student. It may not be something that employers understand. You're too stuck in the academic world and not able to make the transition to their world. And finally, the last step really is, is having a confident story to tell about your transition about outside of academia, it can be difficult for some people, especially say like someone like me. You know, you could look, you could look back and say, well, I, I was unsuccessful in getting an academic job. You know, I was, um, I had five interviews, but I was declined each time, and it, and it can sound like a failure. But actually, you've got to turn it around and say, what's the, what's the positive? And what I did when I was making my transition is really emphasise that I'd um, acquired funding and I delivered a big research project that was really important to me and I published a book off the back of it so I'd achieved that challenge and now I'm looking for a new challenge you know to take my education and learning uh, and to take that outside of academia in, 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 into the business world so I really presented a positive story about why I was making my transition so that's that's the fifth step within the five-step process yeah thanks for sharing that because I think um, one that will be of interest to our, our audience certainly some of them are building out their own businesses some of them are working you know, creating these sort of side hustles for their business. I actually noted down the five steps and it actually mirrors entrepreneurship in a way. So, you know, identify what your skills are. Well, you have the skills that are outside of just being a researcher. Um, focus. And for me, anyone that's listened to the podcast knows niching down is is really important aspect of, of finding an audience to actually deal with. Developing experience to actually get out there and get your hands dirty. You mentioned it took three years to get your website up. Um, Hopefully, it's a little bit easier today now with the advent of things like WordPress and, and that. Um, but a lot of times, people will be holding themselves back. And then personal branding and know, knowing your backstory, it's, it's sort of a direct parallel to things you need to be thinking about even in the entrepreneurship space. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd never really thought about it uh, in the parallel like that. But I guess you are, you are, a, kind of an, you are a kind of an entrepreneur. And you are going out there and selling yourself. Well, that's that's the thing. We're all we're all selling something at at all times. It's just it's a question of what it is, I guess. If you're selling yourself or 
Um, so I really like that. I, I want to kind of jump into, so you've been running jobs on Toast now. We have an idea what it's about. What kind of benefits have come to you from, from creating this online platform and to growing it over the last uh, number of years? I guess the, the main benefit was like feeling I was making a difference and an impact in the world. I mean, for me, there is, there is some monetary part of it because I do get paid for giving talks uh, at universities and I do get a little bit of affiliate income. Um, but yeah, I guess it's really the opportunity to make a difference in the world and make, make an impact and really help PhDs. I just, you know, I know, I know the experience I have myself and the, and the toughness and the challenge. And I kind of think if I can help some other people with that, um, and I think that would be a real fantastic thing to do, you know, with something to do in my, in my spare time. So there's a kind of, there's that aspect of it. And I think it's also, there's also a creative aspect to it in my, in my job as a project manager. It can be quite technical, quite programmatic, you know, a series of stages when you're, when you're delivering a, a change within an organization or, or, or for a customer or clients. But I, I like the creativity of, of blogging and writing and, and connecting with people and, and sharing ideas. And so I think there's something that, um, you know, it's personally fulfilling for me in, in a creative way, as well as the actual impact in the world. And I guess finally, is just, is just keeping up with technology. And I've always, I've always loved technology and been interested in the latest thing. And, um, you know, it's just fascinating to me to, to get going with, with, um, with online platforms and all the different things that go with it. Um, you know, social media things, uh, and, and all the sort of tech tools and techniques like, um, uh, SEO, so I guess I'm just like, um, I'm a perpetual student in some ways. And so I, I just really love exploring those things and keeping up with them all. Yeah, no, those are, those are great reasons. I hope we're selling a bit to the audience on, you know, why you should get started. So the one I want to highlight and I kind of want to put a star around is the impact. Um, whether or not you're running this as, you know, part of something you're doing on the side of your existing employment or you're creating your own business and you're running your own your own company, um, like like I'm doing with Grabblogger and Safety Science, I, I'm a firm, firm believer that the impact you can have if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and get your voice out there online is is tremendous. I don't know how else to say it. Through Dust Safety Science, we've um, partaken in research programs from everywhere, from the Middle East to Sweden to Brazil, the United States. Um, we're really running kind of our own mini university program, our own mini kind of platform around research into this topic of dust explosions. Now it's all funded by having traffic and authority and building a profitable business from it. But basically I've created this condition with dust safety science where I'm kind of self-tenured. So we have a funding budget for travel. We have a funding budget for research. We're working on hopefully bringing on a master student or PhD student supporting them through university. And this all is because I, you know, I started writing a, writing a blog online um, three, four years ago. It's interesting to see the impact is really one of the you know the first thing that you highlighted in benefits that you saw as well. Do you mind sharing just where jobs on toast today, where maybe it is on, and feel free to kind of share whatever you're comfortable with, but where it is on maybe traffic or, um, you know what what it kind of is on on size or scope today? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I mean it's beyond what I ever thought um, I could achieve. And it's funny when I first started off, I used to check my my stats, you know, and some days I'd get zero views, you know, and you kind of think is, you know, is it worth carrying on? But no, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty proud. I guess we've all, we've all been there when we started, but yeah, we're persistent, we're persistent people, PhDs. We don't give up easily. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite proud to, to, um, for the last four or five years, my traffic's been around about 40,000 unique visitors a year. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty 
use that as a as a it's been pretty static but you know i kind of think if 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 all those people are all getting a tip or a technique or or a link or a tool something to take away that helps them make that transition out of academia easier for them then i then then i'm pretty pleased i'm pretty pleased about that yeah i love it so that's uh three thousand a month around a little bit more and you know just over between 100 and 150 a day which is which is pretty amazing really I i remember the same struggle so you go like a week with like three people and then you kind of build it up from there, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, how, it's, how, it's, how it started off. And, um, you know, I mean, like I say, it's leveled out and I'm sure if I did, if I did more, I could expand the reach. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, like I say, I'm running this pretty much as part of my commute. Uh, so I've got a, I've got a family and a, and a day job. So those, those things take precedence. But this is my, um, you know, it's a hobby and a passion project. So it's, it's not too bad in a few hours a week um uh to to have achieved that and you know i mean a r- really uh full of admiration for you as well chris with with what you're doing and you know i mean there's you know you're saving lives i guess with, with with what you're doing as well potentially so that that's that's fantastic and it just like it just shows what you can do like you say how how much impact one person can have this is what staggers me in a way how much impact one person can have using these online tools to to literally anyone you know because i didn't have very much of a clue when i started off but but by being self-taught, it, it's amazing, and, 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 a, and a self-belief, and a, and, a, and keeping going, what you can, what you can actually achieve, and what difference you can make in the world. So let's dive into kind of growing. So we talked about you know early days and and seeing those numbers and checking your stats. Event, eventually, hopefully, we, we get to the point where we don't check your stats obsessively anymore. But that takes takes longer for yeah. for some personality types than others, probably. But what's so? What are some things that have worked to kind of grow your blog or to grow? you know, the authority in, in, in your space that you've, you've seen over the last number of years? Yeah, I think one of the things I did early on and um, is I, I discovered like uh, Pat Flynn's blog and podcast. And so, well, people, people, I mean, obviously you have, you've had Pat on, but, um, you know, Pat's a real master in, in, in online business. Uh, my point of view, I wasn't trying to create an online business, but I, I could understand that the tools and techniques Pat was talking about, it was about growing an audience uh, and about getting loyalty and and fans and people who would share your content so i really listened to that and did some of the things that pat said for instance think, thinking about what keywords people will be searching for so you know if people are looking for a job outside of academia be looking for like jobs after my phd that type of thing so i really sort of focused in on some keywords some of my earlier blog posts are called you know life after the phd or something in, in a title and then a couple of times in the body of the text i was putting in these kind of keywords to try and make sure that um, you know it would be found in search engines, and I think that really helped me because then when when you Google those sorts of terms after the PhD, uh, although I haven't done it for a little while, but you know I was coming up in the top five, top ten, so that helped to sort of drive the traffic, I think, and get it and get it on uh, on people's radars. And then the good side of that is that when people were finding my articles, they were linking them from university web uh, careers websites. And of course, from like .edu domains, which I think, as I understand it, you know, gives you an extra boost. So that's another thing that really helped pull me up is, is, is the, is the good the quality content that I was putting out got linked to by university careers. I think that really helped me be pushed up the rankings. Yeah. Any, any other kind of tips there we had? So, you know, looking specifically at SEO, looking at the keywords that your audience might be looking for, in your case, you know, jobs after my PhD or what can I do with a PhD or all, you know, things that I would search if you're looking in that area. Getting links from big websites is a really important thing. 
and maybe I'll share a couple tips on some things that you could maybe do there in a moment. But anything else that might that kind of jumps out as, as things that worked? Yeah, and I think um, obviously, obviously I also came to social media. So after I got the blog up and running, um, and I really turned to social media and built my social media presence. So I'm very active on Twitter, got a Facebook page and LinkedIn. And more recently, Instagram. My kids, kids are helping me with Instagram. So, so yeah, it's it's just trying to have a sort of a regularity of publishing content, depending on the on the um, on the platform. So more regularly on Twitter, less often on LinkedIn. But yeah, publishing a mix of content where I kind of publish some links to my own articles, but also other good articles that I found. So it kind of helps to establish you as an authority in the in the you can not only share your own content there. Uh, Really good content from other people, so that's what I what I do as well. So make sure I get those get those um, posts going and built up. You know, more than four thousand Twitter followers, reaching uh, nearly three thousand on LinkedIn. Yeah, so you, so I can get get a good get a good reach through social media as well. Yeah, and I'll, so I just pulled up the the tip here. I want to grab the tool while you're talking. One thing that I did really early days on backlinks, which is it's a it, it works really well actually. So search something like, I don't know, PhD jobs, PhD jobs plus, I'm not going to remember the tagline. There's a way to search, you know, what's in a URL for a website. I think it's URL colon and the thing. So if you search PhD jobs plus URL resources, then you'll get all the websites that have slash resources that have PhD jobs on them. So you'll get a lot of those job boards like, or you'll get a lot of those, you know, university websites that show up. And the real trick is, I learned this from, I believe, Brian Dean at Backlinko. If you do that, there's a tool called Check My Links, which I used a Google Chrome add-on, so I just have it here. Anytime I see somebody's website, I click this thing. It shows any broken links is red and all the good links is green. So the strategy then is to search that, check the resource page, check their links. And more often than not, if they have you know 20 links, at least one of the pages is dead. It's red. So you just email them and say, hey, I, I love your website. Actually, actually, look at their website. Don't you know spam them. <laughs> but you know, I, I was looking at your website the other day. I really love what you're you're doing. Um, I went to the resource page, found a lot of great information. Noticed that this link was broken. So yeah, I just thought you could fix it if you wanted. You could link to an article that I created on the specific topic. Um, that's kind of a way to that. I I did that for maybe thirty or forty websites early days, and I think thirty five of them came back and just added my my website as the link. These weren't .edu, which may be a little more stingy. Um, but that's a good way to kind of sneak attack onto people's resources pages, kind of get your, your website out there and get more backlinks. Great idea, Chris. Yeah, it's something like I say, I think um, a lot of my stuff has come more come more organically, but I think that's, that's a really good idea if, you, if you've got the time and you know, put some dedicated effort uh, into it and all that pays off over the, over the long run because once you've got a link on a good site, um, that's gonna be, that could be sending you traffic every day for years. Yeah, I agree. So there's there's some things there. Um, so you mentioned Pat Flynn for sure. I guess the first note is when I went to your website, I was pretty impressed by the flow. It's got a really good, I don't know, I call it good bones on the, on the website. It was a really good element. So you have your kind of start here. Um, that's, you know, focused not on you, but focused on the, the reader. You have the direct reading list on the sidebar, which is like, here's all the, or not all the articles you wrote, but here's the most important ones. If you click on number one, it's uh, your PhD in a diagram. It's an infographic. It's totally easy digestible. You can see right at the front. So imagine if I come to your website as a new reader. It's like, oh, here's, here's what I should read first. I click on I get a really easy win. It's a nice instant kind of win, which uh, Pat Flynn talks about in his Superfans book. Um, and then, you know, it's got links through to all the other stuff you created, but in a very logical fashion. 
So my, my kind of point there was that's very well laid out. Besides sort of Pat Flynn, what other influences have you had that have kind of shown you the way or, or you know, showed you how to do this? Because I imagine there's a listener out there that's going, I'd like to create a website, but I don't even know the first thing to do. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks, Chris, for the feedback. I mean, um, I guess I do try and put myself in the shoes of somebody who's starting off, and that's how I, how I try and approach it. But yeah, I, did, I do have used models by, by Pat, like the, like the start here, the about, um, the quick win. Um, yeah, I think beyond, you know, beyond Pat, I haven't necessarily ventured into a lot of experts necessarily. I guess I just, I quite like to look around the web myself and see what works. So a little bit of a sort of, um, you know, gathering up, just like to, to, to look at other people's sites and see um, what works, like a big, like a big friendly image. I think that's, well, that is another thing from Pat, but I think that works well. Um, you know, it kind of makes a human, a human connection with the person. And yeah, I just on that thing about the reading list. I kind of thought, you know, what a PhDs, what a PhDs like, <laughs> like a reading list, right? You start off, what is it? What's the ten things I should read? And and it's trying to get think back to my own experience or think back to the mentality, uh, and so try and organise the content in a way that's 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 familiar and and, and accessible to the to the reader. So yeah, part, partly I guess I, I just always tried to empathise with the with what what a researcher starting out is going to want, and just try to arrange the content. Um, in in a way that is is most easily consumable for them. Yeah, and you you mentioned kind of going around the web and seeing what you like and bringing that all together. That's what that's that synthesization. I don't think that's actually a word, but synthesizing. Now I can't say it. <laughs> this is the problem with live podcast recording. Synthesizing information. You know, that's what that's what we do. That's what you're good at. So it's not. I don't think it's. Um, you know, a surprise that that's the the way to bring that information together and kind of pull the best the best from each of those websites that you're visiting. Is there anything you've tried that hasn't kind of worked, or anything that you've sort of I don't know taken a swing at that that uh, you you stopped doing? Or I think it's it's often interesting to hear what people are doing, but also you know what what have they stopped doing to get their websites working well as well? Yeah, I mean, I had some ideas early on. I mean, one of the things that didn't really work. I, I, had an, I had an idea or an ambition to build churches. So as you know, some people, um, some PhDs looking for support to make their transition will hire a coach, uh, like a career coach. And then early on, I kind of saw there were some career coaches around and I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to have like a directory of career coaches um, so that if people wanted to hire somebody, they could look in that directory uh, and find someone. And um, it comes back to the synthesis that you were just talking about there, Chris. And um, then I also thought, well, maybe there could be some re- Revenue because perhaps when people get, um, you know, they could pay me a referral fee, you know, because they referred someone. Hey, I came through Jobs on Toast, um, so maybe I could get a bit of money that way. But you know, it really, it really didn't, um, it didn't take off uh, as a thing. There weren't really enough coaches to make make any decent kind of a directory. Uh, and people I approached, um, they weren't getting paid a lot for coaching anyway, and they were reluctant to pay me a fee. You know, they were hardly making enough money themselves, so. And also, PhDs haven't necessarily got the money a lot, you know, on 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 sort of high end coaching. So I think it was something that I thought was was a good idea, but it didn't it didn't really take off. Um, and so that's something I I, I dropped as a, as an approach. Yeah, that's kind of funny because I also had the grand vision of a job board on safety science, um, that didn't work out either. <laughs> so if you've ran, if you're listening to this and you've run a blog that has a job board that works, <laughs> reach out to, uh, to myself and we'd love to have you on the podcast because that's something that didn't work for me. We did end up, we did find a board that works in the sense of um, our industry directory. 
So if you have a company and you're looking for a specific piece of equipment or consulting or some kind of uh, hazard analysis or assessment or hazard identification, we do have sort of the, the central area there um, that we, we bring people to and then show them what their different options are around the globe. But it, one, it requires traffic. So you need to be getting pretty good and pretty steady traffic to be able to do that. Now, those numbers depend on you know, what industry you're in. Our traffic right now is about 4,500 a month, which is enough to run something like that in our industry. If you were doing maybe a general, say you had a job board for designers, you probably need 10 times or maybe 100 times more than that to make it effective to compete with you know, Upwork and other things like that. But it's interesting because I tried a job board early days as well, and it just didn't, there just weren't enough people interested in it. So it's interesting to hear that that, that didn't work for you as well. Yeah, it's it is it is interesting because, um, but I think this is part of the to me part of the me- the mentality. It's at least try, you know, and try something. And I always, you know, this is something I always say that I c- I can't I can't know what my readers and audience want exactly. I can think about what they might want, but how but how do I know? And the only way to know is see what feedback and reaction you get. And if you if people like it, they click on it or they uh, email you about it or on social media post about it then you you can tell you 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 run with that and you expand that approach and that's another way to think about what works and what what doesn't work and things yeah areas where i've probably had less interest i've kind of held off and things that are things that are more popular i've just put and and get good feedback i've put more effort into so i think that's a little bit of you just have to put something see the reaction and that that's what helps drive your, your strategy no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it's it's always a learning process. And you know what you what you know a year in is different than what you're going to know three years in is different than what you're going to know ten years in. Kind of what what do you think as as being next? What's down the tracks for for Dr. Chris Humphrey and for JobsOnToast.com? Yeah, I mean I'm keen to keep Jobs on Toast running. Um, I've got some um, work that will draw together all the advice and the guidance that I've published on the site over the years. I want to distill that down in, uh, into an ebook and, and, and get that up on the site. So that's something that um, you know, people can buy and take away. So that's, that's part of the planning for Jobs on Toast. But I'm also working on some other sorts of side projects. I think having worked yeah, for more than 10 years now in this whole area of, um, of, of careers and career change, I'm really in the sense of career progression that people have or, or a lack of it. I mean, I'm, I'm really feeling and get some feedback from, say, people who are, who are in their 20s that, you know, career progression is a really important thing for them. They want to move along in their career. They want to uh, get promotion um, or they want to sort of climb up the ladder. And so that's something I want to try and put together a, a, a website to really help that, like trying to curate all the best material around career progression. Could be books, could be, be training videos to really, to really help with this sense of, of, of progression because, it's something that your employer doesn't necessarily help you with, but it, it is really important to people. Um, so that's that's something that's um, the next thing on my list. I think it's a great idea. I mean, you, you have, if you kind of think of the segments of people, so you have graduate students, you have people that have graduated and are looking for employment, and people that have employment and want to know the next steps. And then you probably have people that are, you know, 20, 30 years in and, and want to figure out what the next step in their life is. Um, you spend a lot of time on this this first segment of helping people that are, you know, still in grad school or recently graduated, um, get into an employment position, but there's, there's a whole nother starving market. I know, cause I was actually in it for five years of people that are, that are employed that want to know the next steps and, you know, how to, how to progress. Well, you use the word career progression. 
um, how to get those next steps. So I think it's important to, to target that group because they need they need help as well. I'm sure. Yeah, good. Well, I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that, Chris. And uh, I mean, I think the other thing that I would the other thing that I would say is that um, you know this comes back to what we were talking about about impact and our personal values is that. Um, the experience of, say, a number of people as they get into their 40s and 50s is that they, they have kind of climbed the greasy pole, they have climbed the ladder, the corporate ladder, but they, they ultimately find it defying. You know, ultimately, just chasing more profit or a bigger car or, um, you know, a bigger office is ultimately unsatisfying to them. And so the other thing I'm quite interested in is, okay, progression is one thing, and it's important when you're younger to, to get more material things to provide for yourself and your family, but actually... One thing I noticed is that people in their 40s or 50s are kind of dropping out of that and are going into things that are with them. They may maybe start their own business as maybe like a yoga teacher or mindfulness or going to work for a charity. And so, so there's a kind of cycle where people are looking for some other kind of progression. It's not necessarily the next rung on the ladder, but it's, it's a kind of maybe it's a, a spiritual progression or a fulfillment as well. And that's something that I'd like to capture with it with what with what i'm doing it's not it's not just all about um the materiality of progression yeah i would agree it's you know we get to a point and and i was there because i was working 60 70 hour weeks and trying to do a phd on top where it's like is 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 what i'm doing here worth it and the impact that it has on on me physically and also the impact it has on me mentally and if you didn't you know if you didn't grind that hard for a short duration like like i did but maybe only worked 50 hours a week you know, you might you might be able to do that for fifteen years and then turn around and go, Oh yeah, what 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 happened there? <laughs> so you know, it's time to work on myself a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You maybe you missed you missed your missed your kids growing up. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't um I couldn't agree more. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, sharing some lessons learned over you know the last decade of running jobs on toast. As I said, the Superfans book is in the mail. I believe it's on a plane. It, it was gonna cost Forty-six extra dollars to have a tracking of the the book, so I didn't pay for tracking. So I can't tell you specifically where it is over the Atlantic, <laughs> but well, it is coming to you, and it's on the way. <laughs> yeah, I just really look forward to getting that. Like I said, I've been a big a big fan of Pat Flynn for a long time, even though he's like he specializes in online in online business. I think all his techniques for how do you build a website, build a presence, build build a brand, and be authentic, it really does apply to impact type of businesses projects as much as it applies to, to anything commercial so yeah i'm really looking forward to, um, to reading that book when it when it lands i'm sure it will in, in the next few days excellent well yeah thank you for sharing your expertise on the podcast today and i look forward to the the chance to talk again soon yeah thanks very much chris all the best thanks so you've been listening to myself dr chris cloney and dr chris humphrey from jobsontoast.com and we're talking about lessons he's learned over the last 10 years blogging so we went through his background how to get started online it was really through a presentation that he was asked to give at his university about his experience moving from academia to you know an alternative career choice outside of academia and just kind of life experience. And that sort of gave him a little you know, tap on the shoulder, a little hint that, that this, this is something people want to know about. So instead of just kind of not doing anything about that, he started Jobs on Toast and he's been running that for 10 years. And it's really you know, introduced some new things into his life. So introduced things like presenting or do things like impact they can have on people and, you know, different aspects like that. So in the podcast episode, we talk about what things are working, what things maybe we try that didn't work between himself and, and myself, and just, you know, a good overview of what it looks like to run, run a website like this that's focused towards um, graduate students. So if you like this episode, tag myself at GrabLogger on Twitter or Instagram, 
Uh, you can also tag Chris Humphrey. There's too many Chris's in this episode. You can also tag Dr. Humphrey on Jobs on Toast on Twitter, at Jobs on Toast on Instagram, and you can find him at Dr. Chris Humphrey on LinkedIn. Um, and you can also obviously find him at jobsontoast.com. In this episode specifically, we'll pull out a cheat sheet where we talk about some of these, you know, these tips that Chris had and, and that I had around building your website, building your blog. Um, you can also find the transcripts for this episode at grabblogger.com slash 31. So other than that, I appreciate the, the work that you're doing. I hope you have a, a great week ahead. I'm really looking forward to continuing to help you build your online business as an academic, as a researcher, as a person with a PhD and increasing the change that you can put into the world. 